Fuck yeah, static. Welcome to the SS Roller Derby Podcast. Woo! I am Allie Gator. And I'm Hammer Abbey. And we are coming to you from beautiful and chilly Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> it's chilly, melty, wet, icy, intermittently all over the damn place. Hope it's warmer where you are. Mm-hmm. But it's very exciting and warm in our derby hearts. So <laughs> It's true all the time. Uh, warm and uh, usually slightly stinky as well. A little moist as well, mm-hmm. you know, from like just yeah. the sweat. Yep. But uh, yeah. So what's going on? Uh, yeah, it's been, so this is going to, this is the end of February that this episode is coming out. This is episode number four. Wah, wah, We've wah. made it to number four. Oh my gosh. Every episode feels like a victory. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Can we get that, we get that time in the recording studio? Yeah, yeah, yeah let's and, do it, yeah. You know, like coordinating our schedules uh, and our busy, busy lives is always extra fun. So we are excited to be here to talk to you about a number of things. We've got some great interviews coming up, some really great uh, derby-related musical acts that have submitted uh, their music for us to share with you on the show as well. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really stoked because our our sort of one of our centerpiece interviews uh, for this edition is going to be with your friend and mine, Violent Bob, who is the uh, coach, bench coach for Dublin Roller Derby and has been for quite some time. I had the distinct pleasure of interviewing the man, the myth. The legend. Uh, while I was in Dublin recently, after attending the World, Roller Derby World Cup, and uh, Bob was very, very hospitable. He uh, gave me uh, a- gave me and my lady friend access to the Jameson factory, so we got a sweet tour there. Nice. And then we went. and We got some uh, really good. Uh, some <laughs> well, some actual good whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Not that shite whiskey. No. Um, <laughs> At a local, uh, really nice cocktail bar nearby, and had a had a great conversation about sort of the history of, of roller derby in Dublin, really, because he's been yeah. he's been with the league since pretty much the beginning, um, and it was a really fascinating conversation. Just some of the differences between roller derby in Europe and the UK and Ireland and all that, and his experiences with the with the team. So that'll be coming up in a little bit. And we'll have, like I said, we'll have some music as well. We might have a little Valentine's Day special. Mm-hmm. What tell us a little bit about what that might be, Ali? Yeah, we, uh, we did a little interview with our. Our friends Diamond Ruff and Chad uh, from Minnesota, just Chad, just Chad. Um, from uh, Minnesota uh, Roller Derby, and uh, we're gonna hope to do a little bit of a segment going forward, just about derby love and derby Aww. relationships. No. So, kind of you know, meeting meeting your love uh, through derby and how that kind of develops. Uh, so, if you have a really great derby love story, you can write in and send it in to us. We'd love to hear about it, uh, or maybe talk to you about it in the future. I was gonna say you could. Write it and we can read it on the air like a little letter if you want, like mm-hmm. a little love letter explaining your history. Or we can try to r- arrange an interview. And this can be any kind of derby love. Yeah. I want to be very inclusive about this. We both do. So just any any f- really meaningful relationship that you've developed with someone, I think, qualifies uh, as long as it's through the world of roller derby. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be, I got married to him. It can be, you know, I met my my derby wife. I met my derby love. I met my derby triad. I, you know, it can be any <laughs> yes. sort of those things. Um, uh, but you know, you find you find your people through Derby. Yep. You find you find your love through Derby, and I think that's a fun thing to be able to spotlight. So yeah. on this lovely February, you know, the BS of Valentine's Day, <laughs> let us celebrate it with real love through oh, roller derby. So, I agree. And then we're also going to chat a little bit about World Cup because oh. I don't know if you heard Hammer, but what? you went to the World Cup. <laughs> oh my God. 
<laughs> I almost totally forgot. No, it's not. It's not yeah. true at all. I did. I was uh, very, very stoked to get to be part of team announcer for ah. the 2018 World Cup in Manchester, England. Uh, thanks to the incredible hard work of our tournament head announcer this time, none other than Val Capone, mm. who is also uh, one of two announcers, the other being you, that I credit with getting me into announcing in the first oh. place. Uh, Val Capone, based out of Chicago, of course, because I mean the woman's body is covered in like t- Cubs tattoos and shit, so you can't, you can't. True. It's just unavoidable. You just know it. But she's amazing. She works so hard, and she coordinated a team of I think there were like forty odd Whew. announcers on this team for World Cup. It's mm-hmm. inc- a huge crew, but she really wanted to make a point of being as inclusive, especially of more up and coming announcers mm-hmm. in places where roller derby is a little bit newer. So especially like European and South American countries and things like that. So I got to meet great people from all over the world and go go do this and, and stay in Manchester for, for four days oh. in a giant convention center and not really actually see Manchester proper until the final final night I was there. <laughs> That's kind of how it goes. Yeah, you're going to do. Yeah. So do we want to get into that run now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So yeah, Hammer went as an announcer. I was so jealous, I got to say. Uh, life did not allow me to go, but I... I champion you and cheer you on. Yes, I appreciate it. Um, And wow, what a roster of announcers and what a roster of teams. Holy crap. 38 teams competed, but then there was additional teams that did like some expo bouts for the first time there. There There were some junior bouts. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of to take a step back, roller derby outside of North America is a thing. It is such um, a thing. It is such a thing. And it's so amazing. And I think it's such an interesting dynamic that us U.S. teams get very insular uh, and we don't get exposed to that. So what was that like experiencing roller derby outside and also like just the epicenter of the derby world yeah. for a weekend? Yeah, being at the center of everything for a weekend. So this was, this was in fact the first time that I've traveled outside of the U.S. for roller derby. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of travel within the United States, but I've never had a chance to really go out, out of the country. So um, I was really excited because keeping my ear to the ground over time and just knowing some people who are involved in, uh, I would say, Derby internationally elsewhere, like I'm aware that this exists and I'm aware of the conversations that we've been having about trying to be more expansive and inclusive with Derby and how we even schedule our tournament season and things like that and how, how that differs depending on what country you're in. Um, but being there and experiencing it was a totally, totally different uh, thing. And it was it was incredible. And I can't I wish I could really explain just the energy that was in this. I, I hate to call it a room because it was a gigantic space. Cavernous. Yeah, cavernous. <laughs> they had four full full regulation size tracks mm-hmm. in one giant building, um, each one of them with their own you know, set of uh, bleacher stands that people could sit in. And there were, up until the very last games on Sunday, there were usually four games running concurrently. They were yeah. somewhat staggered, so you'd occasionally have respite, but like at least three running all the time, but yeah, sometimes they, four. They, it seemed like they were running kind of like two yeah. would start at the same time and then yeah, like another two, like, half hour, half it. hour yeah. after would start. So it was just, it was like a deafening cacophony of roller derby. And, you know, part of the, the challenge of, of being there, being a skater, being a ref, being an announcer was just learning how to really hyper-focus on your track mm-hmm. because you would be hearing whistles from other tracks because there was no sound deadening between them. Yeah. It was just everything bled over. The so only thing is the whistles. people sucking in, the, but yeah. that doesn't no, go that far. Not that far. So you really had to like watch your referees to make sure they were, in fact, the ones blowing the whistles. And then the poor referees had to be making mm. sure that their other referee was the one actually starting the yeah. whistles. And um, the first day especially, I think that was that was 
nigh unto overwhelming for everybody. That's a big learning curve. Yeah, it was I a mean, big. Just, just like skating at RollerCon, where there's sometimes two tracks in one room, that's confusing. So yeah, I can't four. even imagine four <laughs> it was a lot. in a very echoey space. Yes, yeah. But uh, somehow everybody seemed to adjust, and I, I, I I felt like anyway it started mm-hmm. to run more smoothly as it went along. I, I'm not a skater, so I can't speak to their experience personally. Yeah, but it didn't. See, it didn't. See, it seemed like we had less and less confusion on the track that I noticed as the weekend went along. So that was pretty impressive. But um, the other thing I want to make a point about is you know we have four games running pretty much concurrently in this huge space, and every one of those games had a full house of, yeah. of people watching. That was the most incredible thing to me. It was just the the amount of attendance, and it wasn't just other skaters. Mm-hmm. You could you could obviously. See see that it was a lot of people who had just come to be fans. Yeah. Um, whether they were skaters from leagues that weren't participating or teams that weren't participating or it was friends and family um, and just fans and all that, like especially because airfare within uh, Europe and the UK is actually really cheap mm-hmm. uh, compared to even trying to travel within the US because you can... I. I landed in Dublin and flew to Manchester, and on the way from Dublin to Manchester, ran into some um, Irish Derby folk who were going. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Yeah, I'm just figured I'd go for the weekend." It was like a, you know, it's like thirty euro <gasps> round trip on Ryanair or whatever, so you can do that. Oh, holla, Ryanair, oh, right? Oh. So, um, so it's a lot more approachable to fly two things. But I think it's also what I'm what I'm learning is just like the fan culture over there is so different and so involved, especially you talk about like soccer, aka football. Mm-hmm. Um, People are used to traveling to support their teams and being really vocal and doing yeah. cheers and being super into it. And like they paint their faces and they wave flags. So it's like the, you know, the the Aquaman army from Minnesota, yeah. but all everybody has it over there. Yeah. Um, and, and it they, was, it they, was they just talk, so cool. And they talked about how they really took a lot of yeah. their inspiration from from soccer football fans, you know, European uh, sports fans. And you could see that on the feed. I mean. It yeah, I hope it's fall. translated. You could you could see the people totally and you could did. hear them. Um, I think one of the best examples, of course, because it was pretty close by, but the the rivalry was so much fun. Was uh, Wales Scotland? Mm. I mean, their games were amazing and nuts. You know, they're really really well matched teams for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, played twice, right? They played twice oh, because of the weird vagaries of mm-hmm. the of the of the system. I mean, it, it's but hard. <laughs> you got I mean, thirty eight teams. There's yeah. you can't you can't do a elimination for a week long. Right. You, you know, you, you have so give much time. People travel from so far. So yeah. you want to make sure everybody gets a decent number of games in the weekend, mm-hmm. which I totally understand. So I don't envy the people who have to figure out the algorithm. No. I'm I feel like it was pretty darn good in terms mm-hmm. of how it worked. I feel like it could still use a human touch because there were situations where I'm switching uh, topics entirely here. <laughs> but there were situations like Wales, Scotland, where they ended up playing twice, which was kind yeah. of silly. Um, you also had a situation where um, Greece should have never played Canada. And bless oh. their hearts, Greece gutted it out, got through it, scored like six points. It was amazing. Um, but there was just no reason for that matchup. It was mm-hmm. like 700 and some to seven at the end or something like that. I mean, there's that kind of spread doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah. And one of the other examples of that is I, it, I can't remember if it was Romania or Russia, but one of the very, very low ranked teams mm-hmm. um, had somehow ended up getting paired against like Australia or something like that initially. And they forfeited because it was a better move. Yeah. They're like, if we forfeit... We do better for our rankings than playing this game because yeah. the forfeit you get it's like a three hundred point spread. I think it's automatic, like you lose three hundred oh. to zero. 
Um, and they're like, you know, look at some of those spreads from like 600, 700 points. Yeah. It's like this is a better option. Plus, it was just unsafe. Yeah. Because some of those real new teams like Team Russia, a lot of those skaters had literally just met each other that week. And a yeah. lot of them are from much smaller leagues. Romania was much the same way. Um, they they just aren't at a level yet where they're even their endurance and their, their fitness level is not there. So yeah. it would be dangerous to play some of those higher ranked teams. Well, and I think that's interesting, too, about people, uh, teams looking forward to the next World Cup and thinking about their rankings that too. going into the next World Cup to right. say, like, we actually, you know, are being realistic. We are going to play the best games that we can play this weekend. But also we want to set ourselves up for a good seating right. going in for next time. And that's I mean, this is really this year's World Cup was kind of the first one where we'll be able to draw on the results as uh, some seating for the next one. Yeah. Um, so but you know, on the other end of that, then those high ranked teams that they get they get paired with a really low-ranked team, it's in their best interest to blow them utterly out of the water. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not, it's not really all that fun for people to watch. Yeah. And it's just, it's I don't think ultimately it's a re- it's not necessary. So yeah. that's where I think the human touch could come into, like, if the algorithm turns up this particular pairing, you can look at it and be like, mm, nope, let's let's figure out another way around yeah. this. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot, a lot of teams. And there's no way to pre-rank them. Yeah. Especially I mean, going into this one. There's no real sense other than, like, maybe the top three teams of where they should be yeah. um, in uh, matched up against all these other teams that are fairly new. Yeah. So switching gears, I yes. want to talk to you about how what your experience was like as an announcer, because I think a lot of us go into tournaments, uh, you know, for WFTDA or for whatever thing. And we understand a lot of us what the what it looks like as a skater. Sure. Uh, and I think when you get on the onto another side of Derby, when mm. you become an official, when you become a, a volunteer of some sort, that there's a much different pace and yes. there's a much different dynamic to those events. So like, what does a day <laughs> in your life as an announcer at one of these tournaments look like? Like going into day one, what did you, what is, <laughs> well, let's put it this way, going into the weekend, yeah. how much of your weekend do you know about? Almost none of it. Yeah. So... You get your schedule for day one usually a, a couple days in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes more, depending on because there's so many moving parts that the people yeah. who are organizing it are, are tracking, and they have to schedule you know a million people for things. And then someone's plane got delayed, right? And they can't be you there on day one. Yeah. So day one of the World Cup was sort of a unique beast, though, because there were like 40 games played that day or all something. All those mini games, yeah, because yeah, it was short. So all these 20 minute games. So I think that day I called five or six mm-hmm. games of these shorties. Um, which is a lot, uh, but it's, it's you know it's madness. You you just show up and you just have to be ready to roll with whatever gets thrown at you. A good announcer anyway. Like your 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 job is to have as much background information as you can. Do your research. Be familiar with some of the names, the backgrounds of the teams, things like that. But you can't really study all of them when they're that yeah. many teams. Thirty eight teams. So I I mostly like I had a general familiarity, and then I waited until I got my assignments, and then I dug into the information that we're given for each team, and mm-hmm. you do you do your research, and you we have like a we had a separate announcers room, thankfully, that we shared with some other volunteers that you can go and just like sit in and decompress, and you go in there and it was like study time. You know, mm-hmm. all these announcers sitting at their laptops, you know, reading over notes, taking taking their own notes, building lists. Comparing notes, like we, um, one of the things Val Capone really uh, hit us on was like, I want you, anybody who's on the call together, you are in this room, not out on the dais, in this room at 30 minutes to your your call so that you're all sitting together, you're comparing notes, you're talking about what the story is, you can get on the same page, and Mm -hmm. then at 10 minutes till you go out together to the table, if at all possible. And that was really good because it gave us a chance to like 
again, to talk to each other and get on the same page. But then prior to that, you kind of do your own research and you set your own pace and you have to just figure out how to get through the day. And then the other days, you don't know your schedule until like midnight the night before, yeah. which is extra fun when you're trying to get mm. a decent amount of sleep. And I can't even imagine, you know, poor Val having to stay up until God unearthly hours when you're already jet lagged to figure this yeah. stuff out. But I would I would go to bed basically at like 10 and I'd set my alarm for like 1 a.m. so I could wake up and look at when the, the roster was out, get it into my calendar, and then go back to sleep. <laughs> and no one I had to wake up in the morning. Yeah. Because I really had to plan out. I was doing a homestay. Uh, thankfully, very nice, uh, hospitable uh, Manchester roller derby person took me in and let me stay at her place. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Rowie. You're the best. Um, but it was like, you know, it, it was a decent amount of time to get from that place to the convention mm-hmm. center in the morning. So I had to plan around that. And I had to make sure I was, you know, up in time to catch a bus or to get an Uber or whatever it was. You're going to live at that. You're living at the convention center. You live at the convention center all day. There's, I mean, it was the convention center was in the middle of like the most American mall land looking (laughs) place I've ever seen abroad. It was like, what, what do you do? It looked like it was right next door to a thing that looked like a a really gauche mall of America. Yeah, that food court looked rad. (laughs) Crazy. The food court was really good. Had a lot of really good food. Uh, Yeah, it was just an insane mall that was right next door. And you had that and like the equivalent of a Walmart and a Starbucks. Um, that was all that was in walking distance. So I was like, no, you're just you're in the convention center all weekend. Yeah. I don't have other transportation. So I just you just live there. And that's a weird dynamic, too. I think as skaters, sometimes we know when we're going to skate in the day we go skate. And then, you know, sometimes we'll hang out in the venue and stuff. But like a lot of times, like skaters will check out and you'll go back to the hotel room yeah. and maybe watch part of the feed and do or that. Or have time to go out in adventures and stuff, yeah. like, which was really cool. I, you know, I knew a number of skaters who were over there and they got a chance to go out with their teams or just bum around and like see some sites in Manchester which yeah, is great. Yeah, but if you're if you are not doing one or two games in a day and you are instead doing five or six right. or you you're know, in the convention center all day. You live. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's I think the as someone who's done tournaments as a skater um it's exhausting in its own special way. Mm-hmm. For sure, it's a lot of work. And you don't always get a chance to go and do other things. Sometimes you just have to go back to the hotel and chill and get ready for the next day. Um, but yeah, as an announcer, you know, like I went into this planning. And the reason I decided to take the vacation in Dublin afterwards was because I knew, I'm like, I'm going to go all the way across the ocean. I'm not going to spend four days in convention center and come back. Yeah, Because I knew that that was what was going to yeah. happen. Yeah, because you have to you have to build those days into derby trips. You are not going to see it. Don't plan to go to Seattle to go roller skate against a team to you know Rat City or whoever, and then think I'm going to go sightsee during those days. You have to plan in additional right. days. It has to be other days entirely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's that's the general day was like you know you you get your schedule literally last thing the night before. You plan when you got to be up. Get to the convention center. You know, bring all everything that you need for the day. Mm-hmm. So your any change of clothes, all your food, your laptop, your books. Um, and there's your, a lot of costume covering. changes. Yeah, there's, there can be a lot of costume announcers. changes. We had we had themes. I I mostly just stay in my one dapper outfit all day. That's that's my thing. Um, but it, yeah, these these uh, volunteer rooms. The ref room had like a bunch of tents set up so people could like literally just crawl into a dark, quiet oh, space and take a nap. So great. Yeah. Um, c- and, c- c- <laughs> clap. Yeah. Round of applause on the uh, tournament on all the planning. Yeah. Shout out to Beer Tricks. Oh also. my God! Yes, <gasps> the lovely Beatrix uh, from Rainy City. She's mm. an, an announcer. She didn't really, I think, maybe did one announcing thing all weekend, but she she was running the tournament for Rainy City. Yeah, that woman was busy, and I will say, huge kudos to her and all of Rainy City because, as far as I saw, things ran really well for this mm-hmm. giant, sprawling, complicated tournament. Yeah, they took really good care of us. We had catered meals <gasps> uh, twice a day. <gasps> 
as volunteers, <sighs> and it was actual good food. Oh my gosh! Like whatever that convention center actually had decent food on yeah. here with like dietary restriction options and shit. Wow. So like I'm dairy free, and I was like, I can eat stuff. This is fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. It was yeah, way better than the tournament food that's usually provided. Like you know, you you'll do a tournament in North America at some like sports arena, and they're like, you get a five dollar voucher, but it's like for the in house food for fried. Chicken yeah, strips. fried cool. shit. And I'm like, I can't eat any of this. It's not the Derby League's fault usually. But uh, yeah, anyway, Rainy City did a m- fantastic job. Yeah. Beatrix did a wonderful job. It was really, really well run. If you want to if you want to pick anybody's brain about how to run a successful tournament, like talk to Rainy City because they did a fantastic job with that. Yeah. And I would say from from the outside perspective of someone that wasn't there watching the feed, um, I had little to no issues with the feed. Uh, so, and I was really impressed with the ability to be able to watch multiple screens yeah. at the same time. Uh, I saw some someone on Twitter who like literally did have like yeah three or three or four screens set up in their house. Yeah, they could watch each track at and once. It, I'm like, like oh, it God. was really awesome. And I actually had a little issue with payment and at the beginning, um, and the company was super responsive oh, to deal good. with. Um, I saw the so, usual some amount of bitching on Twitter. There's always some about but, some glitches here and there, but, but it seemed like, like it went well. Yeah, very few like drop stuff. Uh, so yeah, shout out to them on on all Derby ends Duck. of that. Yeah. Yes, the Derby Duck uh, live stream was the yeah they they and they were I mean they were working hard all weekend as well. There was yeah. a whole control room behind one of the bleachers that you could see them doing everything at. Were there any um, were there any broadcasts? I know there were some broadcasts with uh, f- non English speaking announcers. Yes, were there like dual broadcasts done at all? In terms of like no, no, an English and then another language gun? No, 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 no. There wasn't mixed? enough. It was just mixed. Okay. Um, yeah, there, there wasn't, I mean, though we had a lot of announcers, there mm-hmm. weren't enough to, to do something like that. There weren't enough feeds to do that, basically. Yeah, that's a whole nother so You're setup. running feeds on four <gasps> tracks already. Yeah. So, but what we, it was really cool because part of that big giant crew of announcers at Val um, compiled, there were quite a few people who were very fluently bilingual or mm-hmm. trilingual, which I'm super, I'm jealous of all of them. So we had uh, English speakers Obviously, lots of thus, but then there were people who, and everybody can everybody can speak English, like, yeah, for perfectly well to do announcing. And then, you know, <clears throat> whether it was their first language or other languages, we had Spanish, uh, French. French, German. I think those may be the big four. There might have been a fifth one I'm forgetting, but that's still like yeah. a decent representation. And what they would do generally is, um, it happened in house too. You'd have the in house announcers oh, doing cool. Both, which I didn't really know they neat. were doing that in house. Yeah, as yeah, well. yeah. So it was not just on the feed. But in house, especially if there was a team playing that had like if there was a you know, French like the French team or the Canadian mm-hmm. team had um, French, and they would just switch back and forth. The announcers sort of figured out a good rapport where like the one would take like a jams worth in the other language, and then the other person would jump in and do it in English. Um, and it was just a really nice sort of natural back and forth. So yeah. that like for the most part, I think you know it probably leaned a little on English, but yeah. it was like if you spoke English, you could follow along just fine. Um, and if you spoke the other language, you'd be able to follow, follow on marginally well, I think. I know what a super jam is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, but yeah, it was fun. Like in-house, I was on a call uh, that was, um, oh, it was when uh, team, I think it was team Argentina played Aotearoa. And you got the name. Yeah. I worked on that all weekend. <laughs> Aotearoa. Um, which is Team New Zealand and the colonizer speak, and uh, had uh, Troncha on the call with me who speaks Spanish, and she was doing her best to speak Spanish on the house mic, and then like it just became clear that not a lot of people in the crowd actually spoke Spanish because she tried <laughs> to get them all riled up, and I was like, wait, let me try this in English, and then it would work, and I was like, yeah, I think it's just the players on the team. <laughs> but bless you, you're doing a great job. So she was doing stuff on the feed too. Um, That's awesome. Because uh, she, I, I think, is originally from 
Argentina and she's in like Germany or something now. She's incredible. She speaks like five billion languages. Yeah, and two by four had quite the tour. Holy as cow! Well. They played so many. I mean, they, they basically used most of Team Argentina was like all two by four, except yeah. for a few exceptions. And they used the World Cup like as a tour to go and get oh all of their sanctioned games in. So they they were playing like six sanctioned games in two weeks or something ridiculous yeah. like that. And doing quite well for themselves. You can see it in the rankings that have been released recently. Like, yeah. that team is on a tear. I hope they took all the ice baths. Yeah, right? And took care of themselves. Really exciting, though, to see yeah. some of these teams from, like, South America and stuff now, too, really coming up and, mm-hmm. and making a name for themselves. It was really, really cool to see that happening. That's awesome. So, uh... Tell me about this snack table I saw a photo of on, online because there there were some amazing international snacks. I wish I could give you the rundown of specifics, but yeah, I walked into the ref break room on the first day. And as far as I can tell, someone had put the word out to refs and NSOs to like bring the snacks of your people, basically. <laughs> And there were, like, three huge, long folding tables that were just piled with snacks. And it was, like, everything you could possibly imagine from, like, candies to chocolates. There was, like, one giant thing of some sort of dried meat. I couldn't quite tell what it was. And, like... Was it good? I didn't didn't touch that. (laughs) Uh, And there were, you know, like, peanut butters of all descriptions and jams and, like, weird things I couldn't even describe and licorice and this. It was just, like bonkers um i know i saw that photo of yours and i was like yeah (gasps) as i have entered the promised land (laughs) holy crap uh and i mostly had to avoid it because i'm just like uh, one of the big things i i so i'm dairy free Mm because i have i have all sort of colitis i have this invisible illness thing that i struggle with sometimes and i'm especially when i travel (sighs) things get real can get real wonky so i was like super militant about how i was eating and what i was putting in my body and i I saw that table i was like oh satan you're testing me um but (laughs) i did the power of snacks compels i know seriously the power of snacks snacks compels you oh it's so good (laughs) i had a couple little things from it but just like like nice nice little easy stuff um but yeah i remember just sort of crawling over and it was fun to just sort of watch the levels go down over the days as it was getting ransacked (laughs) and what was left yeah the weird like the the most like I have you know, truly no idea what this is. It's like the last thing on the table. Like everybody's like, I don't really know what to do with I'm this. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm I'm intrigued and I'm terrified. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was that was just sort of like a really lovely, um, fun representation of just how incredibly international the whole thing was. Yeah. I mean, people came from everywhere yeah. and from much further away than even I did because <laughs> several of the Australian uh, announcers made made a point to. Raz me about because I'm like I I'm, I'm jet lagged and I came really far from Wisconsin. They're like, shut up, <laughs> <laughs> deal with it. Yeah, Australia definitely wins. That's uh, true. So, uh, do you know what the final count was of how many games you called over the weekend? Oh man, um, not off the top of my head, but I can look at my Google Calendar. And uh, what different roles did you uh, fill? Uh, as an three, di- three different roles. So we had a pretty consistent um, for house and for the broadcast. There are three mics, mm-hmm. and for the broadcast, it's uh, mic one and two, which is just the folks who are on here that you hear, and then three is the producer. So you you're not on mic, but you're right next to those folks, and you basically provide lots of little. No- you take stats for them. You watch sort of the broader view of the game. You talk to the ref rep when there's an official review and pass that information on to the folks who are on the mic. Like you're just sort of the the, the info dump for them. That's yeah. a little more free to do stuff. You're the announcer that's not on. On the mic, but making them sound real, real good. smart. Yeah, you smart. hand them a little notes, and then they're like, "I know stats off the top of my head." It's the fifth lead jam in a row they've right. gotten. That's not really them saying that. That's the person right. silently. Next I mean, everybody to them. was really good about giving giving kudos to the yeah. producers. It's a fun role. It's a really interesting uh, uh, role to play in that. 
And then on the house, um, in-house announcing, there were also three. And it was the, sort of the two main announcers. And then the third was like, you were more in charge of doing sponsor reads mm. and um, other little color fun stuff like that. Just so on out. mic third, though. Yeah, but you are cool. actually on the mic. It's just like a little less active than yeah. the other two. And you're backing them up and stuff. But it's still totally fine. It yeah. was fun. Um, and it, it gave like I said, a, a people with a wide range of experience levels, a lot of chances to get experience and work yeah. with more experienced announcers and stuff. And it's like, this is a really good opportunity to train up folks who are coming from countries that don't have as strong of an announcer culture mm-hmm. or, or training grounds or opportunities even. Yeah. Um, so it was really cool to get a chance to work with all sorts of folks who bring different skills and ideas to the table like that. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at my my Google calendar from <laughs> the day one was the one with a bunch of those small games yeah. that I had. One, two, three, four, five. And then day two, I had West Indies versus Poland. I called Sweden versus Russia and Netherlands versus Brazil. Sounds and fun. then three. Yep. Oh, Which four? is plenty. It was three. Okay. Three in a day. That's that's, that's plenty in a day. That's You're gone. talking a lot. That's true. So it's drinking so much green tea and honey. <laughs> uh, and then day three, I called Australia versus Sweden, Canada versus Greece, which was that blowout. Um, and then I did, oh, I got to do um, one of the exhibition games, which was Team oh, Baltic yeah. versus Team Israel, which was really fun. I mean, you know, it's like these are like fresh new skaters yeah. for the most part. but. Um, Team Baltic was uh, represented by skaters actually from a couple of leagues in um, Latvia and Estonia. Oh, cool. I think the only country they didn't have represented is uh, Lithuania, which is also a Baltic state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Team Israel is a lot of Tel Aviv uh, skaters and then some other folks who are associated from various other places. Um, so that was really cool. It was really lovely and like... It was it was one of those games where you're watching the refs like really explain rules to skaters yeah. as they go. Like the rolling whistle is the end of the timeout. It's not when you go again. Um, this is what a false start is that you've just done. But like they were really what I yeah. loved is like you could see a couple of the refs being extra patient to yeah. like really explain because several of the people who were skating that game, it was literally the first roller derby game they had ever played in. Yeah. Which oh is just gosh. like, oh my God, but adorable and wonderful yes. and inspiring. And, and, and like, what, what, a, a, what a great place to have that experience. I like, know. All like, these people cheering you on. Yeah. And what a positive like space to do that. In. Yeah. 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 And then so I called England Sweden, which was a good game as well. So that's four on day three. Yep. And then on Sunday... Everything, it's funny because I'm looking at my Google Calendar and everything's like, this was at like five in the morning. <laughs> yeah. What? Oh, right. Different time zone. Um, so, yeah, on Sunday, I only called two games. But the reason behind that is because there are fewer games on Sunday. And also, I was deeply honored to get the final. But I, that was the day I called. Oh, it wasn't It wasn't um, Aotearoa versus Argentina. It was, it was them versus Spain, oh. which is why the Spanish was happening. My apologies. See, my mem- memory is just... Blech. It's all right. So four, so much. Fourteen games yeah, over four, four days. days. Yeah, not too shabby. Not too bad. <laughs> and I didn't lose my voice. Very proud of myself yeah. for that. Managed to like not hoot and holler too much during because like you're watching other games, you want to scream, and you're like, it's nope, so hard. Nope, gonna just use my hands. Yeah, I'm gonna use sign language uh, cheers. That and, is something uh, I learned from you because yeah. I, because I am a culprit of that as well. That like I will announce and stuff, but the moment I get into fan mode, oh, I yeah. start screaming, screaming and yelling, and my voice goes so yeah. fast. Past. And like I, yeah, doing the develop strategies to get around that. Yeah. So, so you got you got a tapped and yeah. honored to call that final game of USA versus Australia. Yes. Tell me about that. That That's was so fucking awesome. That was super fucking awesome. Yeah, that was a huge. Um, that was really amazing. Uh, so Val pulled me aside earlier that day and said, "Would you be?" 
up for that. I was like, yes, of course I'd be up for that. Um, me? Me? You yeah. Me? No, well, and here, here, here's the thing. This is me tooting my own horn, but it's it's also me putting this out into the world because I, you know, this is what I've been working on very specifically yeah. in a lot of different ways. And I, I think this is information worth knowing. And it was really nice to hear Val validating <laughs> um, this. And she, her, her, what she said to me, she's like, I'm putting you on this call because so there were two different there were there's the house call there was the Derby Duck live stream and then there was the the BBC call that was mm-hmm. going out for that one and she's like I need people on the BBC call who are doing like Derby 101 who are yeah. really good at explaining Derby in like simple terms to people who've never seen it before and can like get through the lingo and it's like a really specific skill set which I could do I'm pretty confident but like I don't think I would have been the best pick there for it and I think she did get the people who were the best fit for that. Yeah. Um, and she's like, I want you on the Derby Duck live stream so that you can like talk inside baseball with the folks who are watching who are like Derby people. And I was on that call with uh, Dave, who's an Australian announcer, who's amazing. He was a delight to listen oh, to. He, yes. Yeah, he was he was a blast to work with. He's wonderful, knows his stuff. Um, and it was fun to have that <laughs> Yank Aussie dynamic going for that game. But yeah, so I mean, like the whole thing is all weekend. My goal was just to be like, just show up and do the work and mm-hmm. whatever they ask you to do. No job is too small. And I, I brought this attitude from when I was in theater and it's like no rules too small. Yeah. You know, you don't get to be the pretentious asshole who's like, oh, you're only offering me this bit part. I, I, I'm i not going to do it. Now that I've auditioned, you've given me this bit part. I'm just going to drop out entirely. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. You do the role. You just do the role. You yeah. get to be part of this experience and that may be the role that was most appropriate for you at the time. You're just not, you know, like you're just whatever, for whatever yeah. reason, you're not what for this not other role. It might be about you. It it's, might be it's about mostly not all about the you. other people. So exactly. it's like a lot of those decisions, it's not like you aren't the final say. Yeah, that. unless you've done like something really awful where someone's like, yeah, clearly I'm not going to pick you because you're an asshole. But um, yeah, there's no way to know. And there's so many moving parts. So it's just like, I'm going to do my job and mm-hmm. make it as easy as possible for the people who have way more work than I do mm-hmm. to deal with me. And I'll go wherever you want me to go. I will do what you need me to do. I will just get that thing done. I won't yeah. complain. I won't show, show up. up late. I won't get drunk. I will research my shit. I'll be good on mic. And I will also be good when you're like, I'm not going to put you on this one. Fine. Cool. I'll go hang out and do something else. No big deal. Yeah. Um. So all of that. It was basically what, you know, Capone was like, you know, I really appreciate that you've been super reliable all weekend, mm-hmm. you know, like you'll just roll with the punches. You can improvise as needed. You're not complaining. Um, you're not causing any issues, anything like that. So um, that was nice to hear to have validated. Yeah, <laughs> because let me tell you, like, uh, there is as much imposter syndrome stuff that goes on as a skater. It yeah. also goes on in the other side of Derby. Oh, and totally. I think I think as well that's a big dynamic on the volunteer side mm-hmm. for femme and women uh, female identifying uh, people because I think a lot of times early Derby it ended up being skaters and their significant others. Right, so uh, men were most of the announcers and the it, refs and things like that. Yeah, there and was so definitely I think a dynamic. Coming into some of those those spaces uh, and I think as women coming and femmes coming into those spaces, that there is a lot of that imposter syndrome yeah. and a lot of that I don't have the confidence coming into that. And so I think it's important yeah. to show up and do the work, but also to be confident about yeah. you are doing a great job. Yeah. And that you wouldn't have gotten asked to do that if you had right. not been. And oh, like, yeah. I, no, and I mean, like, I'm so grateful and I'm so humbled by it. But at the same time, I'm like, I earned that. Yeah. yeah you I did. did that. I mean, I, if I hadn't gotten it, I would have been like, oh, how dare you? But I'm like, Cool, I get well, to I, watch that last game. Yeah, right. I just get to hang out and like <laughs> drink a beer. Cool. Um, 
but I, yeah, no, I felt like I was in the right place. Like, yeah. I, this is, I can do this. This is something that I can do. And I was really happy to be there. So, um, no, yeah, the, the imposter syndrome thing is so real for, for so many of us. And I'm just really trying to get over it as much mm-hmm. as possible. Just like, just put in the work and show up and do it. And if anybody gives you some shit, be like, you know what? No, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and that's so true. One of the big things that I've learned in announcing um, from people like Double H, who's uh, sort of like the head of it for the WFTDA, because she comes from an actual sports casting background. Mm-hmm. And she's made a real purposeful effort to put more um, women uh, who come in as announcers on the the play-by-play call for yeah. the, the WFTDA tournaments because um, in the sports casting world, you more often than not see, like, if women get into it, it's because they're ex-athletes. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, we'll just put you on color because you can't you can't do this really technical thing, but you can talk about the game that you, you used to play. Throw in a throw little, little in. little here and there. I mean, color commentary can be awesome and amazing, and mm-hmm. that's, like, totally shortchanging it, but that's also shortchanging women in general yeah um but yeah she purposely is putting a lot a lot more of us on play-by-plays like, yeah you're totally capable of this let's give you a shot to do it um and that was really that's been really good f- for my learning experience as well and i try to take again that to this uh world cup wasn't quite as like hard delineated between like you're doing color you're doing play-by-play um but you know i, I have no i love doing play-by-play it's actually one of my more favorite things to do than yeah. color so when i'm on a call with a dude and i'm like i'm gonna do play-by-play okay <laughs> you're like you're and gonna deal with it. Know your role, <laughs> sir. But no one. I mean, I had no no, no. one was shitty at World <laughs> Cup. I worked with a bunch of really great people who are all professionals and like share the mic just fine and you have awesome. a great conversation. So yeah, it was it was a fantastic experience overall. And calling that game was a thrill. Although I will say, fun fact. Yeah, I'm told you couldn't hear it on mic. Thank Christ. End of the weekend, I got through most all of that game and then i had this i had a, a thing of hot chamomile tea with honey in it that i was drinking because i yeah because the air is so dry and my throat dries out and i have all these issues i was doing great and then that ran out and at some point in the second half of that game i was in the, like literally in the middle of trying i was about to do a sponsor read i had like said part of it and then i my throat just slammed shut closed what? and i was about to start coughing into, yeah. the, into my headset microphone and i just poured i just looked at dave like i pulled the headset off my face and like held it as far away from me possible i looked at dave and was just gave him like the keep talking and i just started like hacking up a lung <laughs> off to the back on the dais like trying to keep it away from the microphone oh my god and i it was really hard because i didn't have i was like i had to send someone to i was like someone needs to get me some more hot water because like, um, I, I couldn't get it to stop yeah. i'd come back on mic and try to relax my voice even drinking just regular water and it would just keep yeah. trying to close up anytime i talked and i was like fuck there's still a game to call i yeah. can't just not be here for dave and the the you know like whoever is watching the stream is like ha- hacking into the microphone or just totally not there yeah so uh had to use like every tool in my arsenal to try to get my throat to calm down uh-huh. and like drink and so i managed to get back on eventually mm-hmm. and finish the call but the other side effect of that was because I drank so much that day that I had to piss like a racehorse. So like the last five minutes of that game, I barely remember. I'm calling. I was doing the call, but like I was mostly just like, oh god, oh god, just oh god, like oh god. I have to pee. Yeah, like I have to pee. I have to pee. I have to pee. And it's like as soon as the clock hit zero, I looked at Dave and I gave him another. I was like, just keep talking, and I just bolted for the bathroom. You're gonna <laughs> just wrap this up so for us both. Poor Thank dude you. just had to like bullshit through like. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I'm sure it was great. Uh, he just kept talking as I like completely disappeared for a minute. And then if you pay attention, like, I don't know, like three minutes later, I show back up again and start talking like nothing happened. 
I was like, oh, that's practically so good. out of breath because I had to sprint across the convention center just to pee because I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Clear a lane. Holy shit. So it was like <laughs> such a great game. I had so much fun doing it. And then like the last 10 so... minutes were a nightmare for me. Oh, I was going to say, lie. what a... What a fucking brutal game, too. Yes. Oh. oh, man. Yeah. I was totally gunning for Australia. I mean, I love USA. It's my home team. Truth. I, I have seen and called and know some of these skaters mm-hmm. very well, and I love them to death. And USA played amazingly. Like, that yeah. team is, they're strong as hell, and they're still setting the bar. But, you know, you want the the underdog to unseat the, the person who's been dominating for a while. And Australia has come so yeah. far. Well, and I think coming out of WFTDA championships this yeah, year, we too, thought it was going to happen. DL, right? And how much of their team uh, makes up Team Australia. Right. Uh, I think that was a really big expectation or thought coming into that, that, I mean, they were going to be one of those top contenders. Yeah. And that they were. And they were. Yeah. Yeah, they I mean, were. they killed it all weekend, and they and they mean they, they killed that close. game too. Yeah, they like, did. I mean, that was the closest anybody's come by far yeah. to unseating uh, USA in a game. Um, it's jammer penalties. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, jammer penalties. Story of my life. <laughs> That's what undid yeah. them. Ugh. And it was so interesting because I remember two years ago, three years ago, it was jammer penalties that pretty much undid Victoria too. Mm-hmm. And then they got real clean this last year and. You know, everything else was pretty much in place, and they that's and they won. And then yeah. I was like, seeing that it come out again at World Cup, I was like, no, Don't do we it. worked on this, you guys. Well, they worked on it. I didn't do shit, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> nah, I just talked about it. <laughs> I just, I just, yeah, I just spout my mouth off. It was, it was a delight to see that two a lion roller skating with those Australians again. Yeah, Aww. yeah, back with her homies. Uh, it was really cool just to see a lot of folks like you know basically going home to skate with yeah. you know. Like um, Lady Trample with Aotearoa and all that, and uh, winning. I think she won like fan favorite again. Yeah, um, she's lovely. She's so. It's one of those people who has handled the sudden weird Derby fame thing with incredible grace and mm-hmm. patience. And I have to uh, shout out for her with that. And she's still a great skater. And it was just cool to see. Like, yeah, I'm gonna go play with Team New Zealand. That's fine. Yeah, like uh, this is my home team. Those are her people. Her people. And oh god, them doing the haka before games. <gasps> So uh, I I get like chills. teary, cr- like cryy, just watching it on the feet. I can't imagine what it was like it to was, actually be there. I only got to Ugh. see them do it once, but that was made up. I was like, I am going to be here for one of these. Oh it was gosh. so fucking cool. Um, yeah. And that I mean, that that brings me to the, the I also want to shout out, especially Team Indigenous yes. at this game. That was such or this whole tournament weekend. It was so amazing. Um, they were really so, inspiring to watch on, I'm, from from afar. Yeah, just to see the representation yeah. and to see them come together and how they solidified and how they, they got grew better and better through the weekend. the weekend. Yeah, um, and and to know some skaters that shout out to Supernova. Yeah. Um, who is from our league here in Madison, but has skated with other leagues before us. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is a blocker primarily, but she also jams. They threw her a jam at she, that. She was like, okay. She jammed like a champ yeah. in multiple games. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just that team as a whole was, it was amazing. It was so moving because, uh, you know, you could see them represented all weekend. Um, most of them hadn't met to play with each other beforehand mm-hmm. at all. So, yeah, seeing them sort of come together and just cohese as a team and seeing the support, like the really vocal support they were getting yeah. in-house. And then, like, there was one day there was a photo shoot going on where um, a number of the players had brought, like, traditional garb, basically. Yeah. They were doing a photo shoot in, like, the traditional outfits of their their various represented um, tribes and nations and things, which was really beautiful. And then uh, Team Australia giving over the their yeah. introduction instead of doing their national anthem, they gave it over to uh, formerly known as Mick Swagger, now going by uh, Asuan, 
which I think is a traditional name. That's I didn't get wonderful. the full backstory on it, but she's definitely using that as her name now, not McSwagger anymore. But she did the whole uh, statement beforehand about like what Team Indigenous was all about and yeah. like trying to raise awareness, especially for the sort of epidemic of, of missing and murdered Indigenous women. And um, I had the honor of reading that statement on the stream uh, because you couldn't hear the house yeah. uh, on it and everything. So, yeah, it was just super fucking badass let's just put it that way but also really moving yeah um to see that representation that was uh, really powerful um sorry just talking but i thought that was very powerful and then and in kind of conjunction with then having the anthem from the united states and the movement of what the the u.s team did by standing together and most of them taking a knee taking a knee but doing it while touching each other yeah. and that they were together and supporting each other in whatever choice they wanted yeah. to make doing Even the few that. who were still standing for yeah. it. It was, it was, the whole thing was really lovely. Um, and there was, you know, just the fact that like, uh, it wasn't team New Zealand, it was team mm-hmm. Aotearoa and all that. Like there was so much more focus on, um, indigenous cultures and respecting those and sort of trying to bring in people from uh, countries that are less represented and you know having team Iran there was really really yeah. fantastic because I know they had to uh, we have another skater friend from Arley here in Madison that was Neon who was Shout on that out. team and another team again that hadn't had a chance to really play together beforehand yeah. who got better and better through the course of the weekend but they I mean just getting into it they faced so much trouble because they couldn't call themselves team Iran with the full spelling they had to use IRN because just trying to register the name for like fundraising yeah they, start- they would get red they would get red flagged like blacklisted yeah. from different sites because of all these sort of uh, political implications and mm-hmm. from the from the country itself and also from like America's attitude toward yeah. Iran and all that. So so they had a really challenge uh, challenging time fundraising. Yeah. Um, and I think if and it goes for them and all of the other World Cup teams that I'm pretty sure that if you want to still donate to them that they are still probably taking yes, donations I'm and fundraising. Sure. So some you, of them might even might have some clothes left over that you can buy. Yes. I think most of it got sold out at the thing itself. But there were some really, really oh. rad uh, graphic design logos yeah. and stuff like that. Like instead of so many of the teams, instead of the star on the jammer helmet, had like um, something that represented that that yeah. that place. So like my favorite by far was Team Romania's. They had a bat on roller skates. What? And instead of a star, yes. it was the coolest. Uh, but well, there was a lot. Indigenous a lot of had the medicine wheel, yep. and uh, I think well, Canada has maple leaf. Yep. But there's just so many different interpretations of that. I just love. Yeah, it. it's really cool. When it's not a WFTDA uh, sanctioned tournament, you can do whatever the hell you want, basically with your star. You got a little bit of yeah. freedom. I it just I I just want to reemphasize as we're sort of closing closing out this interview, um, just the incredible energy and how amazing it was to be in this space for so long and just get the sense like you know the place that derby is taking off the most right now and has the most momentum and the most potential um is absolutely outside of north america yeah and and it's not to to shit on what north america has done that's where it it was founded it's where it grew and it's still the strongest place for it but the most like new enthusiasm that we need to find ways to to harness and to follow yes to like let them take the lead and support is coming from from, you know, Europe and South America and Australia and even, you know, places like, you know, you have Japan and the Philippines and all that. Um, so many of these other places that, like, we really need to be willing, more willing to really actively listen to their unique needs mm-hmm. and ideas for where Derby can go next. Because yeah. there is just so much potential there and there's so much energy and there's so much goodwill. Um, and it was just really super reinvigorating to be part of that. That's so wonderful. Yay! World Cup! Coming to you again in two, was it two years, four years now? Two? I think two two or three years. Who knows? Check the website. (laughs) RollerDerbyWorldCup.com.
All right, so we are going to give you the exclusive, exclusive, exclusive interview with Violent Bob, the coach of Dublin Roller Derby, uh, that I recorded live from a whiskey place in Dublin, Ireland, uh, with special guest Mac the Knife, a.k.a. my girlfriend. And uh, I hope you enjoy Allie, you've known Bob for a little while. I have, yeah. He, um, well, uh, Madison has a lovely relationship with Dublin Roller Derby, Uh Team Unicorn, our third uh, international and uh, interleague team, uh, played Dublin way back when, I think in 09 or 010. Um, oh, 010, 2010. 010. And then when we played Paris Roller Girls later, Dublin came and uh, made up a good chunk of our roster as well. And uh, Violent Bob was our bench coach Yay. for that as well. So I got to spend some time with him as a coach uh, in Paris and hanging out and appreciated his ability to speak in multiple languages. Uh, that was came in handy real well. Wait, what else did he speak? French. Oh, I didn't. We didn't get into that part in our interview. Yeah, I mean, oh, you know, talented guy. He is. He is. So yeah, I was very jealous that you got to chat with him. But that was great. Uh, but he is a delight. And, yes. Uh, and I, I, I did ask him specifically about his Packers uh, affection. So oh, he uh, loves. He loves some, some Packers. Packers. Yeah. Yes. We get into that in the interview. So stick around. Check it out. This is our interview with a uh, violent Bob. Okay, so this is Hammer Abbey. I'm reporting live from Dublin, Ireland. I'm trying really hard not to sound like an announcer right now because it just came from the World Cup and I'm completely in that mode when the, there's a microphone in front of me. But the more important news is that I am joined by Violent Bob of Dublin Roller Derby. Correct? That's the, the, Correct. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, where are we right now? What's the name of this place? We are in the Dingle Whiskey Bar because if you're going to record a podcast in Ireland, we got to do it as cliched as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, just, just for reference, I also have my uh, girlfriend and awesome longtime derby skater, Mac the Knife, here who's going to be sort of peanut gallery and occasional interjections and maybe, I don't know, snaps. And yep, 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 hello. I'm not usually on the mic, so <laughs> I might just throw out a couple of, a couple of things. But, but it's basically just all derby all the time is yeah. the whole point. Right. So, so let's start with the basics. Okay. Uh, we ask everybody this on the show. Okay. How did you get your name and why? How did well, I get my name and why? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Kevin Smith movies. Um, so Silent Bob needed some sort of roller derby twist and I went with Violent Bob. Uh, originally I went by Puppet Master and when I submitted to, to, to Two Evils way back when, um, someone beat me to it by like a week. So um, yeah, when they email back saying sorry someone's taken it, I just managed to like reply to the email straight away. It's like, in that case can I be Violent Bob? They were like, yes, okay. So it got put in straight away. So you're in like the original recorded... Right? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. With the dusty cobwebs on yeah, it. I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh, that's all me, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, now we got to go back a little further. Then. Okay. How on earth did you get involved in Roller Derby in the first place? And so, why? Like, what brought you to it? How, well, what, what year was it, approximately? Well, Dublin Roller Girls was founded 2009, um, and my fiance, um, Kitty Cadaver, Christine, um, she was one of the original nine who were like getting together in like a roller disco to try to learn how to skate and eventually rented a space it was like a little dancer studio with like the bars and the mirrors oh, yeah, and everything yeah. yeah tiny little place um so that was october 2009 and then january 2010 uh basically what was happening was one of the original nine was tasked to be the trainer but they were starting to realize that she wasn't getting to learn how to skate because she was taking responsibility for everyone else's training. Yep. Yep. So one Wednesday evening, I got a telephone call. Just I, I was two beers in, 
which I will admit. Uh, but I got a telephone call just saying, look, we have a lesson plan. We know what we want to do. We just need somebody to blow a whistle and tell us when to start and stop. So I got invited along and got invited along the next week and got invited along the next week. And eight years right. later, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what was... Do you, do you know like how Dublin like what was the connection in Dublin that someone was like let's do roller derby so the founder member um, she's called Scarlett McCarb um, she had begun skating with uh, Central City Roller Girls over in the UK in Birmingham uh, and I believe it was her work that took her over to Dublin but she was a, a few weeks into fresh meat at that point over with CCR and just decided it was something she wanted to continue so she put a post up on a message forum over here called boards.ie and some people picked up on it and thankfully Christine was one of those people you know but it was it all started very slowly but I think started right because they focused very much on getting the structure right first the committees and everything were put in place before before even roller skates had been strapped on you know so we kind of started with a good idea of what a league should look like thanks to Scarlett and the work that she did um, but it, I think it just meant that we were starting on the right foot we weren't just going headlong into let's put skates on and hit one another it was there was a structure there was very much a, a goal in mind as to what we wanted to be and we modeled ourselves after the sort of founding teams i guess over in the uk rather than just like starting in a bubble over here in ireland you know because it was a case of not just founding roller derby and i mean it was founding roller derby in a brand new country you know and that was part of the challenge but i think we approached it in the right way that we we put the structure in place first and then began the skating and the competitive end of it too. So yeah. I, I think that's something that stood to us over the years, you know? Yeah. Mm. Say again? It'll help you grow faster. I think as well, it did so. at the time, yeah. I mean, particularly in terms of bringing in fresh meat, having people responsible for specific areas of what we did. I think it was a huge bonus to us back in those days and something that we still succeed as a result of, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So uh, we were talking earlier uh, in the pre interview, which was dinner, <laughs> uh, dinner and drinks about your home teams and I want you to talk a little bit about the theme of your home teams and how that's put together I just think that's delightful okay so if you've never heard of a comedy show called Father Ted which was a it was strangely Irish TV passed up on it they didn't think a comedy about priest the priesthood would succeed but British TV bought it up and it became one of the biggest Irish shows of all time so yeah there's a comedy show called Father Ted and we use that as our foundation for our home teams so we have three home teams. We have the Quack Hackets, the Owen McShoves, and the Fucking Backsters, <laughs> which are hilarious in-jokes if you know the show, but if you don't, it just seems like, I don't know, random. It just, it's just the Irish being Irish, it's, probably. It, it yeah. sounds awesome. It is. Yeah, it's pretty cool. No, our announcers like dressing in priest clothes, and the brochure, the programs are like the pamphlets and leaflets you get at church with like hymnals and stuff it's um, it's pretty intense yeah so, <laughs> and so, so you, you've been with Dublin for a while now so yes. I'm curious about sort of the, tra the trajectory and uh, of, of Irish roller derby ah. and, and, and Dublin in particular just sort of how things were in the beginning compared to where they are now and sort of how they got there and what what you know I feel like every country has its sort of unique spin on roller derby what makes Irish roller derby what it is that's a big question, I realize. That's a really big question. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you, you can get there eventually. So you can talk about just sure. what's, the, what's the timeline been like and what's the change and, and how it's grown over time. Okay, well, I mean, I think Dublin being the kind of original league and 
we kind of maybe set the bar a little bit for for some of the other teams around the country. We did have a very heated rivalry with uh, with Cork for a long time, which kind of carries over from like Gaelic sports and GAA. Just it's a standard thing. Yeah. There's a whole documentary out there called Revolutions that really chronicles like the early days of Irish roller derby. Yeah. Uh, it's up on Vimeo now. You should totally go check it okay. out. Um, but it really does chronicle sort of the. The, the change in fortunes, I think, of Irish roller derby in a lot of ways, you know? Um, like, we started off, I mean, very early days. Like I said, we weren't just starting, you know, it, it's not just like a niche sport, it's a niche women's sport in a country where some of the most established sports, like the GAA and Gaelic sports, like the, the women's side of that tends to get just kind of pushed to the wayside a little bit a lot, you know? So for us, we were like... You know, we were looked at like we were crazy in the early days, you know, but it was a case of just bearing with it and sticking with it and really trusting that we were able to do what we would be capable of doing, you know, is kind of staying the course and maintaining like our, our structure particularly. Um, I know some of the other leagues in Ireland adopted an approach of doing tryouts to allow people in. But we were very much in a case of, you know what, if you are willing to come along and put some skates on and try this, we will teach you the rest, you know. So for us, it was very much, and this maybe goes back to my fanhood of the Green Bay Packers as well, but like a, dra a draft and develop approach rather than a, a flashy free agent signing approach, you know. But we really feel like we built it from the ground up, and we've always trusted in what we've been able to do. We've had some really generous help from some of the other leagues around the UK and Europe, but I think something and something that we cherish really dearly at Dublin is that we, we've we done this, you know, that we've built everything that we've done and all the success we've had, we can rely on our league for that, you know, and I, I think that's something that we've, we've really held dear while we've done this, you know, but coming up through it, I mean, Dublin, Belfast and Cork would have been the three earliest joiners of the leagues, um, and I mean, obviously we had our rivalries and our games back and forth, but um, I think it was around maybe 2013 or so that Dublin just seemed to take that step, you know. We were competing more in the UK. We were competing at European tournaments. We obviously got our WIFTA apprenticeship and our WIFTA membership as well, you know. And that's really been the gateway for a lot of things, I think, is getting that, that recognition internationally to some extent and being able to sort of maybe reap the rewards of what we've sown at home, you know. And we're the first to admit that, you know, things like the D2 tournament that we went to like Beach Brawl like, you know all of this is thanks to the work that we do in our, our little sports hall at home you know we've never lost sight of that and I think that's something that's kind of important to us too you know well and, and speaking of uh, D2s you had a really strong appearance at oh, yeah. D2s last year you didn't do not, not too shabby so talk, us, talk to us a little bit about how you prepared for that and just what that experience was like for you and the team well I think firstly it's important to understand that we we didn't truly think it was going to happen we um when we started off last year, we started off with a game against Toulouse and a game against Rainy City, like Rainy City, the the Rainy City, um, which was two really significant. Can I swear on this podcast? Um, significant ass kickings. Like we, but that was exactly what we wanted to start our year with because we knew that that was the level we wanted to compete at. So we wanted to know what that felt like. So we went over and we we're the first to admit, like we we got pounded into a fine dust, you know. Um, but that kind of set the bar. And as we played a couple more games, we had San Fernando Valley come over from California. We played Central City. We played um, we played Tiger Bay. And just as the year went along, we're like, you know what? If results fall our way, there is a mathematical possibility that this might happen. But we knew going into the game against Tiger Bay that we needed we needed two to one to be 
in the zone of maybe getting into that like 52 you know sure. we just fell short of the the two to one so coming out of that game we we're like look it's mathematical it may happen we're probably going to need some favors from other teams but let's see where the pieces fall and as the pieces fell we ended at 58 so that was a clear six spots outside of, of d2 qualification so we went on our league summer break and sort of put it on the back burner a little because you got to understand our goal was d2 2018 you know that was what we were building towards you know so we were we were in the ballpark but our, the goal was always d2 2018 and then I think we were a week into our league break when Kitty, who's our my, my beautiful, wonderful fiance, but also our Wifter rep, got an email saying Dublin D two question mark from the from the WFTDA, and she was like, I'm kind of nervous to open this, so she like texted me, but some teams pulled out, and the invite was there on the table if we wanted it. But the reality was it was less than four weeks to the tournament. So in terms of actual preparation at that point, we had to bring everybody back early from the league break. And we are so eternally massively grateful to both our B and our C teams that they essentially forfeited their training hours for that month so that our A team could take it over. And So we were training four times a week. Um, in that month, we're talking off skates outside of those hours. We're talking four on skates training sessions a week we tried to bring in so every Friday we tried to do like a game situation scrimmage so we would do our whole pre-game ritual almost we do our mental preparation we do our off skates warm up we do our on skates and then we just do jam starts over and over and over again for that two hours so it was to try to bring not just the physical prep to it but to try to have everybody trained that you know what when we get the team together and we huddle up that that switch has to flick at that point you know we gotta be turned you know so um it was a massive effort from everyone but like the generosity from the rest of the league to just forfeit their hours to allow us to do that was huge but we had we had four weeks to build for it we knew going in against old Ricky, who are a team we've played several times in the past we were the complete outside total underdog going into that game they say it was one against 16 we sort of like to think it was one against 22. We weren't really the 16th seed. Yeah. We were the 22nd seed that just happened to be in that bracket. But, yeah. you know, to, to travel together, to get everybody there at such short notice and at such expense as yeah. well yeah. was crazy. We were really, really grateful to some sponsors that really came on board. And I'm not sure if I'm allowed to mention, yeah, yeah, but there's, no, a, there's a Mexican restaurant in Dublin called 777 who donated a, a, a huge sum to us to help us get it done, which was tremendous. Um, our home venue, for, or our home after-party venue, I should say, uh, Stoutmans, they were really generous, you know. So just to try to book a group of twenty people at less than a month's notice to go to the states, in terms of flights, accommodation, like it was a huge effort, you know. But um, to arrive there that morning and to go into that game, sort of thinking that, well, look, you know what, we're the underdogs in this. We're at D two, though, you know. I mean, no one thought we'd be at D two. Yeah. To come out with the win in that game to like show the world what we were capable of doing. Yeah. But then to continue through that weekend and show everybody that it wasn't just uh, an Irish look or a rubber the green kind of thing. It was actually a, a, an opportunity to kind of to hark back to what I said earlier, to show what we do in that sports hall every week, you know. It was um, it was huge. And I mean, it was a bucket list thing for me was to finally coach at playoffs. That's always been the one thing I want to check off. But now that I've got it, I'm like, right, want to coach at D1s, want to coach at champs. Well, you know, so um, yeah, totally, right? Because I always sort of thought, you know what, once I coach at playoffs, I can start thinking about retirement. 
It's had the complete opposite effect. You know? But it was just an incredible weekend. The support from home, the support from the States, the neutral fans jumping in, like Dylan from the Apex, like being our, our head cheerleader for the weekend and stuff. It just, there was nothing quite like it. And that feeling to, to completely upset the odds and do what we did and to come touch, like agonizingly close touching distance to a medal was um, none of us could like when we finished those two games against Toulouse and Rainy City at the start of that game nothing like if someone had told us at that point you're going to play for four, for third place at D2 we never would have believed them but yeah. you know it was um, it was everything we could have dreamed of and, and then some you know the medal would have been good but you know what we just we'll just take gold next time so yeah, yeah. yeah easy yeah. right why not there you go, there you go. <laughs> All right, so let's let's talk a little bit about your your coaching, then. Um, so, as a bench coach, I feel like every bench coach has their particular style, okay. but also has like the thing that is their thing. Like, what's the okay. thing that you fixate on as a bench coach? Either when you're watching other teams and you're like, why, why, why would you do that, or just sort of your general philosophy and approach to how you do it, okay. uh, and what your background is. My background is I, I played a, a total of three minutes of competitive basketball for my secondary school. <laughs> um, I like to feel that, you know, we were 35 points down with like three minutes to play. Yeah. So our coach really believed I was going to be the person to turn that result around, you know. <laughs> totally, yeah. yeah but totally, beyond yeah. that, no background whatsoever. Like I got invited along to that training session just because I was at a loose end, you know. And as we were talking about earlier, like if someone else's boyfriend had been at a loose end that night, you know, Who's to say you'd be sitting drinking whiskey in Dublin with me right now, you know? Um, so there was very little background there. But the thing is, like, when I came on board with Dublin, they were still learning to skate. Like, there's no skating culture in Dublin, really. There's no there's no ice rinks, so there's no ice skating. There's, you know, roller, ro- like, roller skating was a, a thing of the past. There were some old closed-down roller discos and things, but there was nothing there. So we were learning for, literally from scratch. It was yeah. like we joined a football team before we knew how to walk. You know, so the first thing I did was I put skates on and learned with them, you know, and I think that was kind of where the trust maybe started getting built a little bit because I was going through what they were going through. And, I've, you know, I, I've always kind of prided myself on that a little bit. Um, so zero background, but a willingness to learn and a willingness to repay the trust that that team placed in me. I think was something that, that helped drive us along. We had some really generous help as well in the early days from some of the leagues over in the UK. So, um, like, Hugo Boss from Rainy City back in the day, like, coached us quite a bit. Um, I'm probably going to forget a whole bunch of people, so I don't <laughs> want to start listing names. But, you know, as the years have gone by, we've had, like, Stephanie Maney, we've had Charlotte Scarlett, we've had Kid Block, we've had some tremendous help. But I guess in terms of me as a bench coach, um, Buster Cheaton from Gotham and Ballista Quistle from London, have both been super generous with their time and their, like, I mean, even before we went to our first US tournament, um, like, Ballistic arranged a Skype call with me to, like, talk me through what London does in the build-up and kind of build that that structure to how the weekend would go, you know? It's just little things like that, like, maybe don't mean too much to them, but that meant the world to, like, the one, you know, at the time, the one coach on this island who was trying to make it happen, you know? So the the generosity that we've had shown to us down the years has just been tremendous. Um, But, I mean, in terms of my approach, I don't know, I guess as a bench coach, my big thing is always communication. Um, To let the team focus on playing the game as much as possible and for me to watch all the external things, the clock, the penalties, the opposing jammer, which pass were, you know, and for me just to have that outside perspective where I have no, I have no horse in the race, you know, it's not like I'm competing for track time against them or anything like that, you know, I just have that outside perspective where I can watch the bigger picture, make sure the the details are being communicated, you know, so I am primarily jammer focused when I'm bench coaching, 
um, where Kitty, my assistant coach, and uh, my fiance, in case I haven't mentioned that, yeah, yet, yeah, once yeah. Twice, um, she's recently come into the assistant coach role, so okay. she tends to deal a little bit more with the whirlpool of emotions around the bench and that sort of thing and she's really good at managing the the emotional side of it all as, as yeah. well I guess which is important you know I was become more essential to have a, at least a couple of people oh for sure and we're at expanding that now a little as well like it's kind of been a case where we had a bench coach and a lineup manager for a long time but we're trying to bring in more um, like Michael Watson from Rainy City developed those jammer heat maps where you like track where your team is getting beaten which is a really handy tool it's derbyontoast.com definitely check it out but it's just a picture of the track where you like just touch it and it gives you a picture of where your opposing jammers are beating you and where you maybe need to tighten your defense. Yeah. So in our last game against 2x4 and against Ulrike, we had two additional people on the bench just using that tool. Like one for where we were getting beaten and one for where our jammers were being successful, you know? Nice. So we're trying to bring in those other roles a little. Yeah. But huge, huge props to Michael on Derby on Toast for pumping that. It's yeah. an incredible tool. It's well worth looking at. That you know? sounds magical. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, oh, totally. Uh, he, is, he is a genius, though. He's, he's amazing with that sort of stuff. Well, I've seen some of the other stuff he's done on that. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely, you know. Um, so yeah, we're trying to expand those roles a little. But I mean, back in the early days when we were even trying to cope without a lineup manager at times, you know, it was kind of where we developed just a fixed pack rotation and let the, the team kind of manage the bodies on track to themselves a little bit more, which kind of freed up the coaching staff then to, to do those external things that we can keep a better eye on, you know. Because I mean, being where we are, and I guess being at the level that we're at, we're depending on travel. And it was a point, a case there for a long time where we just didn't have someone who could afford to travel with us to be a lineup manager, you know. Yeah, yeah. So we just had to make do with whatever we could, and it's you know again, it's just given the team that little bit more autonomy in terms of rotations or judging even amongst themselves who's having the better game and so you know maybe who needs to go out a little more, you know. So it's giving that trust back to the team a lot as well, rather than someone dictating. It's like no, you said you're going, you know. So you're getting um, a good outcome out of that, like placing that trust. In for the sure. Players? I mean, recent in recent times now we have taken a little more control over rotations and who needs to go trying to be just a little bit more strict with attendance policies that kind of thing as to you know who who's earning that track time maybe a little more as well so we we had some really good outcomes with it um it's something that i think the more competitive we get though the more we're maybe going to have to revisit that a little where it's not just going to equal rotation all the time that we really need to do put best foot put um, like our best foot forward at all times so yeah. it's it's something that as a team we're trying to discuss and work out a solution that everyone can get on board with like and that's something we really do cherish in our team as well is that it's never been top down you know i'm i'm considered like myself and kitty we're considered like a, a charter of 22 you know and everyone has a pretty equal say in all of that you know exactly you know so it, it's we've really always tried to avoid a top down and more of a you know look here's what i think let's open this up and see you know so we really try to bring that in at training as much as possible where everyone gets a voice everyone gets an opportunity to throw in on strategies and then maybe narrow that a little bit when it comes to game day so that there is one voice just kind of channeling everything and where we need to be and typically that's been my responsibility but that one voice on game day just comes from constant work at practice where everybody gets to feed in to what that one voice will be if that makes sense yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean yeah yeah I feel like I got off topic there, but no, no. Th okay. that, 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 I think that pretty much covers everything that I asked you, actually. <laughs> One or the other. But I, so I guess the the sort of uh, building off of that, then um, before we, we we dig into some just fun personal stuff. Right. Uh, you, 
so obviously roller derby in its modern incarnation started in the United States right. and so um, Europe and the UK and, and Ireland are you guys have been around for a while now for sure. um, but it's sort of like I feel like especially coming from World Cup which was so well attended and just so enormous and huge and the, and the, the big hype is coming from outside of the United States Absolutely. now and having these tournaments out of the United States is so important and it's just like it's crazy to see like thousands and thousands of people coming to them for sure. so I, I would just be curious on like, your personal take on the current state of I'm going to say generically Euro Derby but I mean right. basically anything everything outside sure. of, the, of North America basically um why and how that's happening and sort of how you're experiencing it like what why do you think it's it's kind of taking off right now and where where would you like to see things go from here or where would it might where what's what sort of makes it unique over here as opposed to you know the states i think what's making it exciting over here right now is the splash that europe has made at you know in the states and at playoffs and in d1s and d2s you know i think it's um sort of a slow but sure realization that no you know what we are doing it right you know, I think, um, you know, back in the day when like London was the only team that was traveling over, there was a feel that, you know, they were in a bubble like London was going over there. Out. Yes, not, totally. There. You know, but then you looked at that explosion a few years back where you had like London, you had Rainey, you had Crime, you had Stockholm, you had Helsinki, you had Cali. And suddenly all of a sudden, like, you know, European teams were going over to the States and upsetting the odds, you know? And I think yeah. it was a case that, you know what, we're not just pretending. We're not playing second fiddle anymore. Like, we're we're able and capable to go over there and, and make a splash. And I think that's kind of where the realization has come from, you know? Um, I mean, you look at the crowds at the Malmo playoffs this year. Like, London played rainy at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. That venue was... There was not a seat to be had, you know? And I think it's just a realization that, you know, we're not second fiddle anymore. We're not aspiring to... American roller derby anymore. We're aspiring to the highest level of American roller derby. Sorry, I should say North American roller derby. Even, yeah. You know, um, you know, even like doing your own strategies and stuff. For sure, absolutely. You know, um, you look at I mean someone like Two by Four as well. Who, um, I mean, the, their lateral movement, their ability to get across. Right, you know, you're seeing these different approaches from different continents, different countries that is suddenly now starting to amalgamate into one like melting pot of strategy which is amazing to see but I think it was a case for a long time in Europe that we felt like we were trying really hard but you know America's where it's at but man you look at it now and it's a very very different animal and I think that's why Euro Derby is really exploding right now is that you know this is this is where the excitement is coming from now, yeah. you know? These are the under-ranked teams that are able to go to the States, steal those ranking points, and actually prove what we're capable of doing. And, I mean, I think we've benefited from that in some ways as well, but we're still in that, I think, that middle tier, maybe, of European Derby right now that, you know, the tournament restructure for this year, I think, has been... That's what I wanted to ask you yeah. about. Like, how do you feel like that tournament restructure is going to have an impact on, especially teams like Dublin or sort of D2-ish? I'll put it this way. I'm really glad that we got to D2 the year that we did, yeah. you know, because as much as the Continental Cup, I think, is going to be a really exciting development, um, I think it's going to feature a lot of European teams who play against one another a lot. Anyway. You know? Yeah. Um, and for me, like, because we are we are willing and ready to travel. Like, we have been, like, we played our first game in 2011. We have, I think, played twice as many away games as we have home. Something around it, you know, because we are stranded on a little island over here right, in the middle, right. you know? So we are willing and ready to travel. And I, I you know, and we... 
we achieved pretty well at D2, and I would have loved another bite at that apple, you know? Like, for sure, you know? Absolutely, because it's, it's that ability to maybe face the unknown a little and, you know, prove what we can do. Um, I full. I just want to be clear that I fully understand the reasons why the, the WIFTA have decided to go down this road, because I mean it's the logical way to go about it. Um, but as someone who had, if we looked at last year's structure, we were we were targeting the lower end of D1 this year as our goal. But to make the leap from 58 to 28 in 12 months, it's it's a lot to ask. And I'm just I'm really grateful that we got D2 when we did because that's an experience I would never ever trade in. You know. It's exciting. I'm excited to, to compete at that tournament and to hopefully have as high a seed as we can possibly have at that tournament as well. Um, I just wish we could have found another way, that's all, you know? And I mean, obviously, it's a member of the WIFTA. I don't want to be seen as, like... No, I, but, you know, if we're all members of the WIFTA, we get to say sure, what we feel about it. we like, okay, Absolutely. I get this, but maybe I, let's keep I talking totally about it. I totally get their reasoning, but I think so. I think so. I think we're forever going to be meddling and tweaking. Absolutely, you know. Especially now that there is so much more derby outside of North America. It's like we're still just trying to figure out how to support that and make it less, you know, there's not one focal point anymore. And it's hard to be this giant international organization that's very democratic, you know. (laughs) All right, so let's pivot here as we say a little bit. Um, I'm really curious, and I think uh, especially our listeners in Wisconsin will be very curious. Okay. Here's here's an Irishman that I'm I'm looking at, and you've got uh, you've got a sweatband on your wrist, and I noticed also on your there was a, a emblem. Uh, you've got a tattoo of the number four. Yep. You've got a sweatband with the Green Bay Packers logo. You got you got the Green Bay Packers logo on your backpack. Yeah. I know you tend to wear the green and gold even on game day. Oh yeah. How in the hell <laughs> one did you find American football in the first place okay. and become a fan, and why the Green Bay Packers? Okay, so the love of American football goes back to I'm really showing my age here now uh, Madden 92 on the Sega Mega Drive as it's known over here the Sega Genesis to the state yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure why they changed the name it was really peculiar um, but yeah my uncle was a diehard Chicago Bears fan remains a diehard Chicago Bears fan I won't um, hold it against him too badly I know right um, but what's the difference between the Chicago Bears and Marty McFly Marty can go back to 1985 anytime he likes. Oh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if you're familiar with Gaelic sports, like Gaelic football, hurling, that sort of thing. But my um, my father's side of the family comes from a county called Meath, and Meath wears green and gold. So I was like 10 years old, flicking through the teams on Madden 92, and found a team that wore green and gold, and chose them as my team, and I've followed them ever since. So um, yeah. There had to have been something about it, though, when you actually tuned in to watch the games that... Oh, I just, kept you coming back yeah definitely it was just the the strategy of it the chess match element of it the um the physicality but the beauty of it as well you know and it's something that i think i've, tr- I've tried to translate into roller derby as much as i can as well you know but um just the history and the culture behind the packers as well was actually something i only realized like, i only started reading up on maybe six maybe eight years after i started following the team like to me it was just a case there was a one hour highlight reel show that used to play on like channel four every saturday morning so i'd get like 30 seconds of the packers but i would tune in for the whole hour of that show just for you know um so i followed them really avidly i guess for the last maybe 15 16 years like since i came to dublin and i've got better wi-fi and i can you know um prior to that it was just like on like teletext on the tv i don't know yeah you know just trying to find scores and stuff there but yeah i've been following them pretty avidly but yeah brett Favre was the backup quarterback the year i started following green bay so i've always worn number four even for my my three minutes of glory for my school basketball team i was wearing number four so yeah it's always been my number 
Mm. And you said you've even been to Lambeau at this point. Uh, yes, we had to beat the Chicago Bears the last day of the regular season in 2011. The year we won Super Bowl 45. So basically every year I go to Lambeau, we win the Super Bowl. Yeah. So uh, you heard it here first. If Island Bob is coming to the States to go to a Green Bay Packers game, you know to put money on them or just be really excited. Or maybe you can uh, send him some money to get him over there to a game if you're really keen on getting, That's a solid idea. getting their shit back together. Yeah, all right. Uh, well, I think we're, we're about ready to wrap up. All right. Thank you so much for telling us the story of uh, Dublin Roller Derby and Irish Roller Derby and your, and your part in it. And I hope that we get to see you in the state sometime and I also wish the best of luck to Dublin and their future roller derby domination and, and striving and whatnot. <laughs> I don't even know what to call it but uh, anything else that we should uh, we should know is there any like fun phrase that you guys use or cheer that's unique to Dublin anything like that um, well we've really adopted the idea of maximum effort so like Deadpool is like our, yes. our unofficial mascot you know um, that was something we really adopted morning. last year yeah. yeah so that's definitely something yeah. totally Cheers. and make sure to say hi to Ali for me as well Absolutely. and team unicorn for life oh yeah, yeah. I will for sure <laughs> alright Okay, so next up, what do we got? We've got another really cute interview coming up here. Allie, I'm going to let you intro this one. We you know do. all about it. What is what is this that we're about to listen to? This is our valentines love interview with Diamond Ruff and Chad of Minnesota Roller Girls? girls? Yep, still okay. Roller Girls. Just making sure. Um, yeah, we interviewed them uh, last year, late last year, and had a little talk about love and how they met through Roller Derby. Love. And, True uh, love. It brings us together today. <laughs> today. <laughs> so yeah, um, again, this is something that we would love to love. We would love <laughs> to do more in the future. So if you have a traditional or non-traditional love story, relationship story through roller derby, uh, get in touch with us. We or send it in to us. We'd love to hear about it. But uh, what's the email address for that? Is by the way ssderbypodcast at gmail or find us on Facebook, Something Something Roller Derby, and uh, hit us up through direct message there. Yeah, SS Roller Derby on the Facebooks. Uh, but yeah, stay tuned here for this lovely interview with Chad and Diamond Ruff. Welcome back. Uh, this is Alligator with Hammer Abbey, and Hello. we are joined by our dear friends Diamond Ruff and Chad uh, for a little, a little derby love segment. <laughs> Ah, love. I know, right? Um, So I wanted to get some derby love stories because there are, derby exists not in a vacuum, takes a lot of support, and there's a lot of people who are on and off the track uh, and significant others, widowers, if you will. Uh, And I always love the stories that bring people together in derby. And I think you guys have a delightful story uh, in derby (laughs) as well. So if you can introduce yourselves and uh, tell us... Tell us how you met. <laughs> I am Diamond Ruff from the Minnesota Roller Girls. Um, how long have you been skating with them? I've been skating with the Minnesota Roller Girls for almost 10 years. This is your 10th season, correct? 10th season. I met Chad on my second season. Well, this weekend, Minnesota Roller Girls had a bout last night, and this would have been our eight-year anniversary of meeting Aww. Chad and mine. Um, we didn't start dating until two months later, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the story we were going to tell. 
We (laughs) There's some very good faces going on right now. I wish you guys could see it. Chad and I met at the now condemned Station 4. (laughs) (laughs) It was condemned for so many reasons. Station 4 was an awesome after party location for Minnesota Roller Girls. It was a few blocks from the Roy Wilkins Auditorium. It was delightfully divey, you know, a mess, if you will. And I had somehow found, I think this was when they were in the process of going out of business, I had found some deal for $10 for like a $100, you know, gift card to Station 4. So I was, the night Chad and I met, I was, fuck, I was freaking balling. Oh, you swear. I don't know how about swearing. Yes. I swear. I have a. It's fine. It's a podcast. It doesn't matter. We don't have any sponsors. So I was balling that night, so I was talking to everybody. I also think I got player of the game in one of my earlier all-star bouts, so I was having a great night. And then I met Chad. That is the lamest version of the story. Well, that's the beginning! (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll pick it up. Let's pass it on. So I'm I'm Chad. You're warmed up. Uh, I was into roller derby before I met Diamond Rush. Mm -hmm. And uh, the real story of how we met... Um, a friend of mine <laughs> was being set up with a roller girl that, that they go. thought they were going to work out well. And I was along to, you know, kind of as his wingman, uh, you know, make sure he was going to be in an okay situation. Um, and Diamond Ruff was sent over to make sure, kind of to vet him mm-hmm. and make sure he wasn't an axe murderer. And when he came over, or when, when Diamond Ruff came over and talked to this person, um, I, she caught my eye, I'll say that. And then when she walked away, I told my friend who was being set up, I said, if that's who you're being set up with, I'll fight you for her. <laughs> and she came back. And Which is not in Chad's nature. Chad is not fighting I knew I could kick anyone. his ass, so that's the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> Easy win. Um, so she came back, and she was, uh, she was wheeling and dealing free drinks to people because she had this gift certificate, and she gave me a drink. She introduced herself. She. I like to tell this part. <laughs> As, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So you know you're making small talk with a with a potential dude, and I I said, oh, you know, I introduced myself, and I said, oh, what do you do? And he said, I play Tiger Woods on the Wii all day, and high fived his buddy. <laughs> and I said, very nice to meet you. <laughs> Turned away. Apparently, uh, apparently that was that was not a, a good opening. Not a strong opening. No, no. After watching her play all night and kill it. Oh, what do you do? I put Tiger Woods. High five. Oh snap! No. Oh. I had I. <laughs> that don't impress me much. Yeah. So I I had been very recently laid off from a job that I hated, so I was very excited about being. And you're laid getting off. your MBA. Getting a, getting a severance. Like there were all kinds of things happening. I was getting my MBA. There were. I had another job lined up, but she didn't know this. But I was playing Tiger Woods on the Wii all day long. Um, So he, so so the friend that was being set up with, I sent him home with twenty dollars for a cab ride. I was like, I'll see you later. I'm out of here. I swore up and down I would never date a roller girl. Um, I I had a, a friend that had a that had been divorced from a roller girl and. You know, just jokingly, I was like, they're all home records, and I didn't mean that, but I just, I'm like, I, I'm not interested in dating a roller girl. And she had, in the previous dating career, had <laughs> had dated a lot of military guys, guys with shaved heads. I am 
the complete opposite of all of those things. Um, so we, uh, it, it didn't look like it was going to happen. And the, the next day, my friend called me, who was I'd given twenty dollars to. And he, we left to this friend. We let this friend at a party. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dref ended up with with him at a party, and then they 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 left him there. And he called me the next day, and he said, that Diamond Ruff was not impressed with you. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, like, I, was like, I was like, fuck that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a catch. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win her over. So we ended up hanging out with some friends at, at other parties because uh, my friend knew her friend. And we just kind of – so the next, next time I saw her, I basically went through my resume. I'm like, here's what I've done in the past. <laughs> Let like, the wooing begin. Yes. <laughs> and then and maybe another month after that. Another month after that, I – uh, through a series of, I am, I am poor. I'm a poor scientist. No figure. game. No game. Um, no game on this man. I know you get embarrassed when I tell this part. So I will. I, will. I do. I have plenty of game. Let the record show. <laughs> Which is the only reason this could happen because one of us had to have game. Do I tell yeah. the specific stories or do I just say, I tell sc- whatever you want. To okay, I will. Um, we we were at a party hanging out. I was I was playing with this dog who I love, and I was sitting on the floor, and she came over and talked to me, and she's like, <laughs> she said, <laughs> "Oh no, no, you went you went through uh, the movie uh, forgetting, forgetting Sarah forgetting Marshall. Sarah Marshall had just come out. She went around the room. She's like, "Does anybody want to go see this movie with me? I heard it's really good." Everybody said no, and she pointed to me, and I was like, eh, I, you know, "I guess if you know if nobody else wants to go, like, yeah, let's get a bunch of people together and let's go see it." I had no idea that was, like, clue number one. The other chance was the North Star, who's the, uh, another league here in town. They had a game that coming weekend. I was like, does anyone want to go to the North Star about? And Chad was like, oh, maybe, yeah, we could get some people together and do that. So I was essentially, oh. like, no in the it same worse. Worse. party, oh. asked him out kind of twice, and he was clueless. So then, <laughs> then I'm playing with this dog, and she's like, do you want to come over and, you know, sit, sit by the in the chair with me or sit over by the love seat? And I was like... <gasps> Like, I'm really liking this dog. <laughs> oh my God. But I knew he liked me because he had Cause told I, yeah, someone. I couldn't talk. I couldn't look at. It, I couldn't talk to him. It's it. just thick. So it's just real thick. So, so we're, we're sitting. We're sitting in, in. Or she's sitting in the chair. I'm sitting on the floor watching TV. The Simpsons marathon. I remember very vividly. Oh wow! I don't remember that. Oh yes. Um, I was sitting there, and then I felt. I felt her touch my my hair. I was like, what? What is happening? And then she t- she touched my. I was like, oh, she probably just bumped it. Like she didn't mean to do that. I have game. I was touching your hair on purpose. <laughs> she she very intentionally touched my head, the top of my head. I immediately stood up, put my coat on, and left. What? <laughs> how are how are you here right now? Well, I turned to the people in the still in the room sitting with me. I said, "Should I just go put my phone number in his hand, and if he doesn't use it, like this is that's it? That's the sign. It's the final that's sign. That's it." So but, she she ran out the door after me, and she's like, I, I, "I'm like, let me give you my number." I was like, "I was like, use oh, that's it if a great you want. Idea. Use it if you want, or don't." So <laughs> I I left. Let's just say the ball is in your court. <laughs> went out went out to my car, and I was like, "Nailed it." <laughs> So then, because I am a great listener and I listened to every word she said, I knew she had roller derby practice on Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. So I called her while she was at practice so I didn't have to talk to her. (laughs) But you're like, I put the effort in? 
And I am so glad she So he could leave erased, a message. Yes. So I'm so glad she erased that message because it was long and embarrassing. It, <gasps> that's amazing. It was rambly. It yeah. was maybe wanna go out for dinner. If you're available, I don't know. I know you're busy, blah blah blah. It was, blah, it was blah. a poor a poor showing. So mm-hmm. both both nervous and very Minnesotan. Yeah, yes. I'm not even from Minnesota. Oh, so you, you picked it up. And then yeah, basically yeah. the next week we went on it was maybe the next week, next the next Wednesday, we went on our first date and then we as of the following weekend, we probably just like haven't been apart since then. Right. Yeah. It, there was never any like it was not complicated after that yeah. initial <laughs> getting like, together. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm a pretty direct person, so goodness, there's very little ambiguity here. Yes, I thank her all the time for not being a head head games person. Or yeah. I always know what she's thinking. If more women were direct, if more you know awkward dudes like you would be in fine relationships. Yes, <laughs> yes. very true. Let's, yeah. let's be real. If more people were more direct, oh, generally, yeah, everything just, would be a lot easier. Just, right? So true. Let's all just put it out there. Just say so, what you want. You uh, you bonded early over, I believe, a love of tiki things. I mean, that kind of came later. I or was that a, a shared a shared love? That so the tiki trailer was trailer. born because I have wanted to, I had wanted to get an old uh, vintage trailer for a long time, and he was like, "Oh no, we don't want that." For like four years, I talked her out of it. I was yeah. like, "Nope, it's a terrible idea, it's the dumbest thing ever." <laughs> so then she would keep. So my very polite way of doing. Talking her out of it was to ask more questions that would frustrate her. Mm. And I, and how are you going to do this? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So Roadblocks. she she catches on pretty quick. She's super smart. She she would start to answer those questions before I could ask them, and we referred to it as presentations. Mm. So she would bring me these presentations of these trailers. What if we bought this? And I've been thinking about this. And here's how much this costs. And I was like, I was like, man, she's she's catching on. And a and a phrase was born. Uh, don't say no yet. Yeah. So I. I there's a lot of things I want to do in this world and in this house and she's always starts with don't say no I yet. I have an idea, don't say no yet. And that's like an a warm up to the presentation that will come later. Yeah. It's I a working that's a reasonable. Idea. That's yeah. a reasonable work. It's like it just is. hear me out. Yeah. yeah. You know? And it doesn't happen to have to happen today, but just start thinking about this cuz it usually means it's eventually going to happen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Might as well just get used to the idea. Let's workshop this, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> so she told me she said, "What if we made it a tiki trailer?" And I Damn it! Oh. Like I, as soon as she said that, I just I immediately pictured it. I pictured us in it. I was That's like, done. I was like, oh, okay. It's and done. now he loves it just as much as I do. Yeah. yeah. So she, I think she had already found the well, one she wanted, and didn't tell me. So we do the polar plunge every year for mm-hmm. Special Olympics Minnesota. Yeah. We jump in the water. They cut a hole in the ice. We jump in the water for charity. As soon as we did that, she said, "I found a trailer. We're driving to Madison and picking it up." No shower, no, no, like we we had dry clothes, but we immediately went to Madison. She wheeled and dealed with this guy, and we drove home with a 1961 vintage trailer that yeah. that you could see daylight through the walls. And we got to Madison super late at night, and this guy had, and it was dark, 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 and we were in the middle of, I would say. A Volkswagen, a vintage Volkswagen graveyard. Yeah. Until the guy got it was like there. Creepy, but like fun. Hollywood. Beautiful. Creepy. Yeah. yeah. I want to know where this place is in Madison. It's now. pretty. It's well, it's probably like ten minutes outside of Madison. What was they the also time? had a Zamboni. He was. I was like, I was like, why aren't we getting ahead? Like, what if we made a tiki Zamboni? 
like, I don't know what we do with it. What you got to pull that trailer with something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yes, we, we have been working on a tiki trailer, re- not restoring it to its original glory, restoring it to our version of glory. New glory. Yeah. Which is... It's pretty darn good. We turned the bathroom into a bar. We redid the floors and walls and countertops, countertops. and... Um, Curtains and cushions and yeah. bedspread. It's such a beautiful, uh, it's such a beautiful joint project, and it's so nice to have things that you love together and work on together. So. Yes. And then, and then you have, you know, you play derby and you cheer on derby. Yes. <laughs> you get to I, yeah. And, and That's great. I, I know I am. The the men skaters try to get me to skate all the time, and I, I, I tell them it's not going to happen ever. I know my strength. My strength is is yelling and cheering for you. And, and you're a bit breakable. Yeah, I'm, I'm a delicate flower. <laughs> I look like a Sasquatch, but I'm, I'm made of crystal. <laughs> so there's there's your derby name, Crystal Sas- Sasquatch. <laughs> you're welcome. Crystal Sasquatch. Uh, okay. Well, that's, I'd see her perform. Right? <laughs> I feel like that's a good show. It's Crystal Gale's dad, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I may have just found my drag name. <laughs> Please feel free to use it. It's it's. I won't charge anything for it. Uh, all right. Well, thank you very much. That was a, that's lovely and adorable. Aww. Derby love. Yay. Derby and tiki love. Okay. Mm. All right. Well, for the Something Something Roller Derby podcast, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. All right, I'm really stoked about our music feature for this particular episode. We have been soliciting entries just from out in the derby world. If you or someone you know who is involved in roller derby in any way has a band or music project or whatever, you can submit music. We would love to feature it on the show. Obviously, we'll shout you out. We'll mention how to find you on the web and buy your music. Um, You can hit us up. The email is ssderbypodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Twitter, something, something, roller derby or SS roller derby. Um, Today, we are very pleased to present a band whose name in their native language I am going to butcher horribly and I apologize in advance uh, but I'm actually really stoked because we just found out that like Pitchfork has been shouting them out as sort of an up-and-coming metal like crust punk outfit um, which P.S. if you're not into like loud fast aggressive music you're gonna want to skip the next two minutes but I think you shouldn't because it's rad and I think yeah. you'll probably enjoy it um, but we got a note from Bitchblade who's from uh, Iceland and her sister is the lead singer of this band uh, called Dauthlin. Dauthlin. It means dead Dauthlin. weight in English, and I'm I'm so sorry I don't speak Icelandic. I'm gonna work on that. We were trying to find um, pronunciation guide online and failed miserably. If you want to send in the pronunciation guide uh, to shame us yes. for next time, send in your pronunciation. Do. Take it, take it away. It means dead weight in, in Iceland, Icelandic though, um, and you can find them online. It's spelled D A U D Y F L I N dot bandcamp.com um normally that second d has a fun little extra symbol over it to indicate uh how you're supposed to pronounce it which i learned uh by uh googling is called a voiced dental fricative the name of my <laughs> new band but the name of the letter is eth and it's used in icelandic and it was also from like old english and middle english which is badass and pretty metal anyway and the icelandic people are like whatever it's just this letter that we use in our language chill out you don't have one of these <laughs> oh no 
Um, but yeah, so uh, the lead singer of this band is Alexandra, but she also goes by Grim Creeper. She skates with Ragnarok, which is the travel team of Roller Derby Iceland. She's also the co-captain of Team Iceland. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of two bands that she sings for. The other one's called Born, which means uh, children in English. Um, and yeah, she is also in this uh, project with her boyfriend, Fenar, who do- Fanar, F-A-N-N-A-R, who does amazing artwork for the bands and does posters for Roller Derby Iceland and also created the Team Iceland logo. So all kinds of Roller Derby connections. Yeah. To this uh, awesome, loud, crusty, aggressive music that we're about to listen to. What's the name of the song we're about to listen to? Oh my God. Fjordetning? Uh, I don't know. It means contempt in English, is the important oh, thing. Fjordetning. We'll just make fools of ourselves. I'm by, sorry. Uh, but I, I think it's a beautiful language, and I could listen to someone speak in Icelandic to me all day long or Hopelandic. Either. I'll take either. <laughs> we'll work on figuring out pronunciation. You guys enjoy the music. up the fourth episode of something something roller derby we're at the end you guys you made it yeah thank you thanks so much for tuning in again uh please tell all your friends about us force them to listen to us uh give us a subscribe we're on stitcher podcast uh, app now you can check us out there we're on itunes we are of course on our home on uh, podbean mm-hmm. um so if you can subscribe you can leave us reviews it's super helpful to help us kind of boost it. the profile get us out there we are obviously on twitter facebook and uh, you can hit us on email at ssderbypodcast at gmail.com. If you have suggestion, recommendations, stories, anything, music, whatever, like hit us up. Uh, criticism, that's fine, too. We'll read it. We might not talk about it. Yeah. Then, you know, we'll talk about it between friends. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we want to give some quick shout outs and thank yous to, f- to finish things up here. Obviously, we have so many thanks to give to so many people. But specifically for this episode, I would like to thank Rowie, my very, very hospitable uh, homestay host when I was in Manchester. Yeah. Um, Big ups, of course, to Violent Bob for the hospitality in Dublin, to Val Capone and the lovely Beatrix for all of World Cup, basically. And you have a special shout out for Beatrix. Yes, thank you, Beatrix, for being involved in international derby heist slash handoff. Woo! <laughs> Secrets. Mm. And then I want to give a big thanks to Captain Malice of Manchester Roller Derby because he saved my butt and gave me a whole bunch of transportation and hospitality when I was over there for World Cup. And to basically all of the announcers from the crew this year, yeah. you guys were amazing, and I am blessed to have worked with each and every one of you. And, of course, thank you to all of our loved ones 
ones and supporters and fans and everybody who's been part of this journey with us so far. We super, super appreciate y'all. Yeah, we would not be able to do it without all of y'all supporting us and blowing whistles and high-fiving us. And obviously, always thank you to WRT for the studio space and Mm -hmm. to, of course, our home league, the Mad Rollin' Dolls. We hope maybe you can come to Madison this May. We're uh, hosting a tournament called Utter Chaos. Ooh, May 18th, 19th, and 20th. That's correct, right here in Madison, Wisconsin. It's a pretty fabulous place to visit. We'll take real good care of you. Um, And some really great teams will be competing that weekend, so check it out online. You can find out more information um, through the Mad Rollin' Dolls' various social media and website uh, at madisonrollerderby.org. But that's it. That's all we got. We'll be back uh, probably in about a m- uh, month and a half, two months for the next episode. We'll know eventually. We got some stuff to do in the meantime. Yeah, a few things here and there. Um, but as always, I'm Hammer Abby. I'm Alligator. And this is the Something Something Roller Derby. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, don't hate. Roller skate. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the people speaking them and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of Matt Roland Dolls or the Women's Flat Track Derby Association. Special thanks go out to our teammates, friends, and lovers who support this nonsense. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at SS Roller Derby. You can also write us at ssderbypodcast at gmail.com with questions, comments, concerns, requests for advice, and compliments. Thanks for listening, and remember, don't hate, roller skate.